Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. This is what Isaiah saw, the son of Amos saw, concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war any more. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. You, Lord, have abandoned your people, the descendants of Jacob. They are full of superstitions from the east. They practice divinations like the Philistines and embrace pagan customs. Their land is full of silver and gold. There is no end to their treasures. Their land is full of horses. There is no end to their chariots. Their land is full of idols. They bow down to work of their hands, to what their fingers have made. So people will be brought low and everyone humbled. Do not forgive them. Go into the rocks. Hide in the ground for the fearful presence of the Lord and the splendour of his majesty. The eyes of the arrogant will be humbled and human pride brought low. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. This is the word of the Lord. And our second reading is from Hebrews, chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, and is found on page 1204. This passage is headed, God's final word, his son. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets, at many times and in various ways. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. This is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. I would have to say world peace. Definitely world peace. That's easy. World peace. World peace. What is the one most important thing our society needs? That would be harsher punishment for parole violators, Stan. And world peace. Miss Congeniality, if you want to go home and watch the rest of it. For uh, many years in the West, I would say, we've taken a relative state of peace for granted, haven't we? Which is why seeing something like that, which is a parody of what's actually happened at a beauty pageant, uh, but it's why something like that makes you laugh. But of course, world peace is no laughing matter. And today, just like at other strategic times in history, there are legitimate reasons for concern. We want a world of peace. We need a world of peace. But you may ask, isn't this why the United Nations was formed after Second World War? Do you think? So that there could be a world of peace The United Nations is an intergovernmental organisation whose stated purposes are to maintain international peace and security, to develop friendly relations among nations, to achieve international cooperation and to be a centre for harmonising the actions of the nations. Sounds brilliant, doesn't it? Sounds brilliant. In 2020, the UN recognised 75 years of existence and this video was produced uh, to paint a picture of the future. I want the world without I want a world filled with smiles and laughter where everybody spreads love instead of hate. I want a world where all people take care of our planet. I want a world without pollution. I want a world where our children can go anywhere safely and freely. I want a world where our unique differences won't separate us, but rather unite us in love. A world that brings justice to those who treat anybody as anything other than equal. I want a world without borders, physically and mentally, where all people are treated equally, no matter what. world of liberation, 
a world where we can breathe without borders of identity, gender or race. A world where we are free, spoken, heard and equal. A world where we can all belong. Idealism is nice, isn't it? But only to an extent. Think about what has happened since 2020. Well, idealism, as I said, is good only to an extent, but it's nothing without realism as well. Idealism needs realism. And that's just one of the many things I love about the scriptures. It's one of the many things I love about Christianity generally. It paints a picture of humanity and our world that is realistic, but it doesn't leave it there. It acknowledges sin. It acknowledges the problem that sin causes. And it shows us the great creator of the universe who offers the solution. God sent Jesus to enter the reality, to deal with it appropriately and to bring into existence this new world, a new world coming. Today is Advent Sunday. It's a day when the journey towards Christmas kind of officially starts in the church. It's often called the church's new year. We're looking forward to remembering and celebrating Christ's first coming at Christmas but it's also about realising the sombre reality of his second coming. And we wait carefully, reminding ourselves of the gravity of being a Christian, the serious nature of being a follower of Jesus, and that judgment awaits. Throughout Advent this year, we're spending four weeks in this prophet Isaiah a prophet known for his realistic confrontation of the status quo and telling it like it is. Right throughout his 40 years of ministry, Isaiah was called to do an impossible task, to not only speak words of judgment, but to do it in such a way that would close people's hearts and eyes to the message. That's extraordinary. It seems that Isaiah came from a fairly wealthy and more socially influential background than some of the other prophets. He was clearly well-educated and he was a trusted advisor of King Hezekiah. It also seems that he was a trained writer and historian because 2 Chronicles 26 says, the other events of Uzziah's reign from beginning to end are recorded by the prophet Isaiah. So he was a writer, he was an historian, but he was also a poet and a politician. The Old Testament scholar and theologian Walter Brueggemann sees the task of a prophet like this, to tell the truth in a society that lives in illusion, grieve in a society that practices denial, and express hope in a society that lives in despair. 
I'll just let that sink in for a bit. As we read through Isaiah, and particularly these early chapters, we can see these things being done very clearly. Isaiah is politically focused as well as theologically focused, and his words are incredibly relevant for today. In chapter 2, Isaiah gives us two futures, two contrasting pictures of what the future might look like. One of these futures is incredibly positive and one very negative. Each picture ends with a challenge to Israel, effectively saying, if this is what you want, this is what you need to do. Or if this is what you don't want, this is what you need to do. Positive future, negative future, your call. It seems to me that Vladimir Putin needs to learn from history. There was a time when his country, the former USSR, had a different desire for the future to what he seems to have. In 1959, the USSR gifted a sculpture to the UN. The sculpture depicts the figure of a man holding a hammer in one hand and sword in the other, hammering the sword into a ploughshare a tool to till land for crops. This symbolises man's desire to put an end to war and to transform tools of destruction into tools which benefit. The sculpture is called Let Us Beat Swords into Plowshares. Have you recognised those words from the passage read today? The sculptor, Evgeny Vukotic, who died in 1974, was given an award in the USSR, the People's Artist. Not far away from that statue, in what is now called Peace Park, there is the Isaiah Wall, and on it is engraved the words of Isaiah 2.4. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. In chapter 2, verses 1 to 5, Isaiah gives us a picture of the positive world, God's ideal world. It involves all nations. All kinds of people and peoples will come from everywhere to worship Israel's God, the one who can teach them truth. In this ideal world, the positive future, everyone will want to hear about God. They'll want to hear from God. They'll want to hear God's truth so that they can follow him. If there are disputes, he will settle them. And the way he will settle them is by getting rid of weapons altogether. That's what real world peace looks like. Not this elusive aim of the military power being more held by the good guys than the bad guys, which is all we're trying to cling to at the moment. And Isaiah's challenge for this to be reality is in verse 5. Have you got it open there? Verse 5. Let us walk in the light of the Lord. 
But this positive future is not where Isaiah stays. He then presents the negative future, which becomes clear very quickly that it's turning out to be the actual future. His anguish and anger comes out as he despairs about this dreadful future coming. His plea for people to walk in the light of the Lord soon disappears as this reality, the negative future, takes over. People are turning away from God and reaching for their idols, for their superstitions, for their pagan customs. This means that God turns away from them because of that sin. Isaiah says that when you bow down to the work of your own hands, you'll be brought low, you'll be humbled and are not to be forgiven. Arrogance and pride will be dealt with and the Lord alone will be exalted, not those who exalt themselves. A society like this is not God's plan or desire. Seems strange, doesn't it, that a description from so long ago easily applies in our society today. What do we see around us? The quick acceptance of fake news, turning away from the truth, the acknowledgement of any religion but the one that involves commitment to Jesus, the over-importance given to wealth, the over-dependence on military power, and the excessive influence of self-appointed elites. Isaiah was saying that God is not going to allow the kind of society he was seeing. And it is pretty clear that God will call to account the things that we are seeing today. The challenge for us is to acknowledge the ungodly values in our own world and to wisely work out how to not be sucked in by them. And the only way to be able to do that is to see God as he truly is and to recognise how profoundly angered he is by sin and especially by idolatry. Those under this judgment will need to hide from the fearful presence of the Lord and the splendour of his majesty, it says in verse 10. Go into the rocks, hide in the ground from the fearful presence of the Lord and the splendour of his majesty. This is reiterated in verse 19. People will flee to caves in the rocks and to holes in the ground from the fearful presence of the Lord and the splendour of his majesty. And verse 21. They will flee to caverns in the rocks and to overhanging crags from the fearful presence of the Lord and the splendour of his majesty. Verses 10, 19 and 21. Those verses are interspersed with the great truth of how the world should be. Not idolatrous, but who is the one who should be worshipped and exalted? Verses 11 and 17 tell us. Verse 11 says, the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. Verse 17 The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. Tim Chester is an English Christian commentator and he says this. 
One danger is to think of God simply as a bigger or better version of ourselves. We assume God is like us, but with more power or greater moral consistency. We think of ourselves first and then make God in our likeness. That's the wrong way around. We only discover the truth about ourselves as we truly see God. And Barry Webb, in his commentary on this passage, says this. Isaiah warns that the day of the Lord will be a day of terrible judgment for Judah in particular, but also for the whole world. Everything in which people have trusted, instead of trusting in the living God, will be brought down. Trees and mountains, fortifications, ships and money. Even religion will prove worthless on that day if it is man-made. For man-made religion is the supreme expression of human arrogance. It is an attempt to bend God to our will by remaking him in our own image. Isaiah warns that the day of the Lord is the day of ultimate judgment. When we are confronted with that, the question that needs answering is this. Where are we placing our ultimate trust? Do we trust in God? Or do we trust in ourselves? In other words, pride. God and peace. Where does this peace come from? How does this peace truly come? What is the answer? What has God done to bring about the positive future rather than the negative future? Now, this needs careful thought. It's not simple. Because when we take the appropriate time to reflect on it, it is clear that there can never be true peace without true justice. You can't just wipe things away and everything will be all right. What God does is that he brings peace with justice in the most remarkable way. Alongside Isaiah today, we also read Hebrews 1, 1 to 4, which shows us who it is that is the true radiance of God's glory and is both the means and the end. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Are we pursuing the negative future or the positive future? Where is your heart? 
My friends, world peace is possible, but only on God's terms and by his plan. Amen.